Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 215. Well, you know, inspirational quotes. I've always liked uh, Abraham Lincoln's saying that uh, people are about as happy as they decide they're going to be. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Patrick Foster. Patrick, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, yeah. I got my crash helmet on. I got my driving gloves on. Let's go. All right. Well, I promise not to do any crashing today, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Foster is one of America's best-known automotive journalists. He's been writing for over 25 years and is a dedicated historian and author with a broad experience in the automotive industry. His work has appeared in numerous automotive magazines, and he has regular columns in Hemmings Classic Car and Old Cars Weekly. Patrick has written 17 books about the American automobile, and he has a new book coming out this year titled George Romney, An American Life. He's won numerous awards and was honored with the Lee Iacocca Award for Excellence in Automotive Writing. Patrick, if I told our listeners just a little bit about you, would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure thing. Just very briefly, I was born in Burlington, Vermont, and I like to say that because there's not many people that are actually born in Vermont. Most (laughs) of them come in from New York Uh and uh, moved to Connecticut when I was a kid. I got started, I guess, with automobiles. My dad was a real car guy, not in the conventional sense of of, uh, going out and and going to a lot of car shows and things like that, but he just loved automobiles, and Mm -hmm. or as he he was a Vermonter too, so as as he pronounced them, they were automobiles. (laughs) When I was a kid, he went out one day uh, looking for a used car from my brother who had just demolished his Corvette for the fourth time. Oh, no. Needed a good used car for very little money. And he found this uh, 61 Chrysler Imperial for him. And while he was buying it, he noticed that the guy had a 55 Packard Clipper there with no wheels on it. And he asked him, how much you want for the Packard? And the guy said, if you can get some wheels and get it out of here today, you can have it for free. Oh, my gosh. So the old man went down to a junkyard. Uh, There were no Packards there, but he knew what wheels would fit. And he bought four used wheels and tires and went back and put them on, you know, jacked up the car, put them on, and uh, tied the 
the back bumper of his car to the front bumper of the Packard and towed it home. Wow. Believe it or not, Mark, within about two days, he had that car running smooth and sweet as could be. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a score. <laughs> yeah, that became the, the car that I learned how to drive on. Oh, and I fine. used to take that to high school. And I remember the first time I took it to high school, I said, yeah, I got, I got a car out here. You know? and, oh, yeah, whoa, yeah, what do you got? And uh, I said, it's a 55 Packard. And they didn't even know what that was. <laughs> of course. You know, nobody had ever heard of a Packard. And then when I told them it had a big V8 engine and an automatic transmission, one of my car, who, a guy who really considered himself a car guy, said, no, cars in the 50s didn't have V8 engines and automatic transmissions. I said, well, we'll take a walk out and look at mine. Yeah. And it was a, oh, it was a beautiful car. It was, you know, the car was in good shape, had good body, good paint, great interior. And, and like I said, it ran smooth as butter. I really got interested in the independent car makes, I think because of that, because of my experience, people didn't know anything about them, and I wanted them to know more about, you know, Packard was a great car. I yeah. remember asking my, my mom and my dad about Packard, and uh, they got a little misty-eyed, because one of their, when they first were married, they had a, oh, I forget what year Packard, but my mother used to say it was just a beautiful gunmetal gray car, and it ran so beautiful, and they had fond memories of Packard. Right. Kids in my high school had no memories of Packard. They had never seen one. So I started wanting to tell people about cars like that. When I finally bought my first car, I was, you know, I was a 16-year-old kid with a, a job washing dishes for $1.35 an hour, so I didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I ended up buying the one car that I could afford, uh, which was a 61 Rambler American. Mm -hmm. There again, you know, that was an oddball car. Yeah. And people used to make fun of it. And I'd say, no, you know, actually, it's it's a pretty decent little automobile, you know. And uh, I started to become interested in American Motors and, of course, Packard and Studebaker. And, and I really got involved in learning as much as I could about the independent car makes. Well, little did you know where it would take you. At that point, uh no, I didn't. My uh, my teachers had always told me I should be a writer, but I really wanted to go uh, work in the automobile business as a car salesman or something like that. Mm -hmm. When I uh, when I got out of school, my first job, uh, I went to uh, an American Motors dealership and said I'd like to be a salesman there, and they said. No, you got no experience. Get out of here. Hmm? So I went to another one, and I said the same thing, and he said, you've got no experience. Get out of here. And finally, I talked an Oldsmobile dealer into giving me a job. That was the only uh, sales uh, outfit that would hire me. Mm -hmm. And I worked for the neatest guy you've ever met. Uh, his name was Kurt Fritz. He was a short, little, handsome German guy. And uh, he used to call me Patsy. <laughs> He'd say, hey, Patsy, take this guy for a test drive, kid. <laughs> and uh, he taught me everything I know about selling cars, and we had a great, great amount of fun doing that. Uh, cool. He was a, cool. as honest as a day is long. He was a real gentleman. And, uh, you know, from there I went on. I, I finally, with the experience I got with Oldsmobile, I finally went to work for an American Motors dealership, which was my big dream. And I spent the next seven years selling AMC cars and Jeep vehicles and Renaults, and it was one of the happiest times of my life. Wonderful. Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about your life and how you got involved with writing, but I always like to start these journeys with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in your life. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Patrick, take the wheel. Well, you know, inspirational quotes, I've always liked uh, Abraham Lincoln saying that uh, people are about as happy as they decide they're going to be. <laughs> And I know I've got some people in my life that have just decided they're going to be miserable all the time, and I've decided I'm going to be happy. But I'll tell you, along those lines, from an old, I, I'm an old movie buff. 
I don't know if you remember the movie Harvey about the the fellow who's uh, got an imaginary friend who's a, a seven foot tall rabbit. Yes, yes, yes. That's uh, Jimmy Stewart. Well, uh-huh. at the very beginning of the movie, he's walks out to get some some uh, get a telegram from a guy who's delivering a telegram, and the the guy delivering the telegram says, "Boy, it's a it's a beautiful day today, isn't it?" And Jimmy Stewart looks at him and says, "Every day's a beautiful day." <laughs> And yes. I've always loved that. I've always loved that. Yeah, it's a great quote and so important in life. In fact, I just watched a TED Talk this morning that had a lot to do with how you carry yourself physically and how that is presented and received by other people and how just having that positive attitude in your physical presence can make such an impression on other people. So <laughs> it's very, very important. I understand. I had a client years ago when I was a young man This lady, for some reason, was just an unhappy person. And one day she said, why are you always so happy, Mark? And I said, well, why would you want to be anything else? And then I realized as those words were coming out of my mouth that she decided to be something else. And I went, "Uh uh-oh, I may have just lost this account. But uh, I think it's a great quote, and that's the first time I've heard that quote here on Cars Yeah, so I think it's fantastic. You talked about your father being a car guy and your childhood being wrapped around automobiles. Would you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? If you can remember (laughs) that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy. There wasn't really a pivotal moment, I don't think, but there were a lot of uh, smaller moments. My my dad went out one day without saying anything to anybody and came back dragging behind him this the, the rustiest, most decrepit-looking 1926 Dodge pickup truck you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and he had gotten it for free you know like another one <laughs> of, well we had we had seven kids so his his uh his budget for you know fun was very small and he dragged this thing home and uh, he did it when my mother was not home and he <laughs> hid it in the garage because we never parked our cars in the garage mm-hmm. so he he put it in the garage he closed the garage <laughs> door and he never mentioned it and he would go out there you know, uh, on his time off and work on this vehicle, and my mother never knew anything. Well, you know, weeks go by and weeks go by, and finally she's got to go in there for something. Yeah. And uh, she comes out and says, I, well, I can't use the exact <laughs> yeah, What is button. this? <laughs> yeah, what is this? And, you know, he's, well, you know, I, well, you parked that thing behind the house. I don't want people to see that. So he had to park it behind the house and then, <laughs> you know, drive. But again, uh, he and I worked on that vehicle. He got it started and running within days. And this was, you know, this was a 1926 Dodge that had sat in a field for a long time. Yeah. You know, the body looked, uh, the, the, the wooden body had a fruit wagon body, looked terrible. And I said, you know, what do you do with that? He says, well, you can't fix that. You just take it off and build a new one. And all <laughs> I could cool. think of is, how, how do you build a body? Yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, he bought some wood and uh, built a new uh, pickup body for it. Brush painted the, the car, uh, painted the, uh, the the trim silver and, you know, put new tubes in the tire. I had never seen anybody change a tube on a tire by using two tire irons. You know, I mean, I'd mm-hmm. always seen it done with a machine, but here he, you know, we didn't have a tire changing machine, obviously, in our house. So he right. just took the wheels off, put them down on the ground, used a couple of tire irons and, you know, got the tire off, put a tube in on all four. <laughs> <laughs> Very and, cool. Uh, yeah. And then when I got my 61 Rambler, that car needed a lot of work because I had only, I, I only had $25 to buy a new car with, buy a used car with. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was the 61 Rambler that needed work. And uh, my dad and I worked on it. It had uh, the rear springs were shot, wouldn't support the body. 
So he went down to the junkyard, and, you know, he had measured them, and he measured a bunch of used cars down there, and he decided there was a Toyota Corona where the springs were the same size, and we took them off, off of there and put oh them gosh. on my Rambler. Very innovative. Yeah. <laughs> and he went out and bought some putty and, and uh, you know, cut out the rust and puttied up the, the rust holes and things like that. So it, it was gradually that I, I really became interested in cars, and I didn't know there were things I didn't know but there was a lot of stuff that I, I knew about, particularly the independent makes, mm-hmm. and it just it just grew into uh, you know into a love affair with cars. Yeah, it's fantastic, and it's great that it's your father that taught you all these things. And boy, he taught you much more than a passion for cars, for sure, with all those experiences. Patrick, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or great failure that you faced in your career. The most important part of this has to do with how you overcame that situation, and of course, what did you learn from it? Well, I got to tell you, Mark, when you're starting uh, out as an automotive writer, you get a lot of phones uh, slammed down on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called up some of the magazines I work for now. Are, the first time I called them up, were not at all interested in having some unknown. I was a kid then, write for them. Mm-hmm. So it took me a long time to prove myself and to, you know, build from, you know, Hemmings. Um, uh, Special Interest Autos magazine was the first magazine I wrote for about automobiles. And uh, I was just very lucky. I sent a story in, and it happened to be something that they needed, and they bought it, and then I sent another one in, and it started. But then to, to go from one magazine to two up to, at my peak, I think I was writing for about 17 different magazines wow. uh, as a freelance writer mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Well, a big challenge came in 2009, which is not that long ago. Yes. And uh, that's when the economy went down the drain. Uh, the automobile companies went out of business. People were thrown out of work. And every company on earth started cutting, cutting, cutting. And what happened is 13 of the magazines I was writing for went out of business. Wow. Belly up, went out of business. Yeah. Uh, so I was left with four or five different magazines that I was writing for. And uh, a couple of them, I won't name them uh, by name because you know, I'm, I'm still with them. Mm-hmm. But they told me, don't bother sending in any more work for a couple of years because our budget's for freelance have been slashed to zero and we can't buy anything and you know there i was i saw in uh, in a two-month period my income dropped 80 percent yeah wow and uh that's you know uh, no matter what your income is you you pretty much live on it so yeah that's devastating when you take an 80 percent drop yeah it was it uh and it looked at that time uh very bleak it looked like it was never gonna never gonna end you know Mm -hmm. like this is the way the industry is going to be there aren't too many new car magazines coming out and uh so it was it was very difficult uh i ended up i had to take another job for a while uh just to pay the bills and i continued trying to find you know new magazines uh new outlets for my writing and i guess the biggest challenge was just hanging in there and and i hung in and uh uh, against all odds, the business started coming back. There were no new magazines opening up, but some that I hadn't written for before started taking some of my work. And then, you know, it, it, the ones that I had been working for that had told me, you know, we we have no budget, they finally got, to, after about two and a half years, they finally got their budgets restored, mm-hmm. and they were able to buy freelance stuff. Sure. I had a guest on the other day that said the same thing, and I've heard so many people tell me during that time period, uh, the devastation of the recession and all these things happening, 
And one of the quotes one of my guests used was Winston Churchill's quote when he was uh, talking with, I think it was Oxford University, their commencement speech. And he came in and basically said six words, never, 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 never give up. And he turned around and walked away. <laughs> and it was, the, it was the height of World War II. And it's a great lesson. Just don't give up no matter what. And in the case of this one guest on Cars, yeah, he was down to his last $7. He didn't know how he was going to make payroll in two weeks, but he didn't give up. And that sounds like what happened to you. So fantastic. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments in your career. Especially <laughs> as an entrepreneur, we have many of them, but one in particular that stands out that you could share with our listeners? Yes. You know, part of the secret of whatever success I've had, I've been writing and um, writing for different magazines and uh, became known as, as uh, somebody who really knew a lot about American Motors. All right, because that's that's one of my big passions is is American Motors and everything about it. I had an editor from another magazine that I didn't work for call me up and he said, you know, I need to pick your brain. I got some questions on American Motors, and unfortunately, we can't pay you for anything. But you know, I, I'm hoping you can help me out, you know, as a favor. And I said, sure, yeah, no problem. And he said, you know, there's there's just no books out there. I said, I know. I said, what really is needed is somebody needs to write a history of American Motors. <laughs> and he said. Well, really, Pat, we're kind of waiting for you to do it. <laughs> and a light went off, and I said, holy mackerel, he's right. I'm the one who should do this. Yep. <laughs> Nobody can do as good a job as I can. There you yeah, go. <laughs> a little arrogant, but, you know, I, I think it's true. So I did. The very next day, I sat down, and I started to write uh, American Motors, The Last Independent. And uh, I had the book about three quarters finished before I found a publisher for it. I didn't real. I always thought at the time that writing a book was the hardest thing, but the hardest thing is finding somebody to publish it. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I approached uh, 300, 305 publishers. Oh, my gosh. With query letters. And um, I got three that said they were interested in it. One reviewed the manuscript, hated it. Uh, one liked it, but said they wouldn't give me any uh, advance. And um, Krause Publications said they liked it, and they would actually give me money up front for it. So I went with them. Very nice. Wonderful aha yeah. moment. I love that. I'm sure you've had many proud moments in your career, but is there one in particular that really stands out you'd share with me? Oh, yeah. That that was winning the uh, the Lee Iacocca Award a few yes. years back. Congratulations on that. That's just awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, and I've got to tell you this story. It was uh, it was up at, uh, in Mount Stratton, Vermont, and I had been hired to give a talk there at a car show. And I got up, and I, I had my wife with me. They were, um, as part of the deal, they were putting me up, uh, putting us up in a, in a beautiful hotel and paying all our expenses, et cetera. So nice. I got up there, and, and uh, I got up and in front of my wife and everybody else i was able to give a nice talk it went off i think pretty well and uh then i sat down and they said okay now you know it's time for the awards and they were giving out awards for who had the nicest car and the nicest truck and the nicest this and the nicest that and then they said we're going to give a we have a special award that we want to give to a guy who has you know been an advocate for the american independent automobiles and, and they uh, the person they, they went on to describe i was sitting there i'm thinking well, why are they giving it to damn that that sounds like me i, mean, I, I, I got a better resume yeah. than that who, where is this guy <laughs> looking around behind you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then they, they announced my name Very cool. for the Lee Iacocca Award. And it was the only time in my life I was struck speechless. <laughs> they said, you know, would you like to get up and say a few words? And I, I just stammered out, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah. you. One of those Oscar moments where you didn't have that list pre-printed because you knew 
He yeah. had no idea it was coming. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Well, it's a wonderful award. It's just uh, really nice when you're recognized for a lot of work, and especially nice when you don't expect it. So yes. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? doesn't mean your first car, but the first car that you bought or, or acquired that really stands out. And if you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle. I'd have to say my 62 Mercury Comet. Oh, a Comet. This was probably about 1970, and I was working in a garage, and uh, we used to do a lot of towing on the highway, Interstate 95. Well, some guys, some family, had this 62 Mercury Comet uh, four-door sedan that blew the engine on the highway. And what they did, which was very common back then, they pulled the plates off the car, took the registration and all the paperwork out of it, and left it there. Mm-hmm. So the state police called us. It was our turn on the list to go up and, and tow cars off. So we towed it off. And when we got it to the garage, I, I noticed, you know, this car is in brand new condition. I mean, it, the interior was gorgeous. It was a, it was a uh, Highline Comet. Uh, the body was perfect. Uh, it was white uh, with a red and white interior. And it was an automatic transmission. It was really a, a very jazzy little car. And the only thing wrong with it was the engine was blown. So I resolved, I'm going to buy this car. We'll put an engine in, in it. You know, so um, I think altogether with the engine and tires and, you know, whatever else I did, I think I owned the car for $300. Nice. Oh, and that includes the paint. I, I didn't like the white. So I had it painted a bright, bright yellow. I bought some uh, ladies' uh, lace, and we did a lace, uh, some lace striping on it. I don't know if you've ever seen that. So that's where you lay, yeah, uh, yeah, lacing down, and then you spray over it, and it leaves the, the lace pattern on the hood and right. the, on the trunk. And so we had this yellow, bright yellow car with these black lace stripes, and then the interior was red and white. So I went in and I actually hand dyed the interior to black and white. Oh my gosh! I even painted the dashboard, the instrument panel. Wow. Uh, taped off all the gauges and everything, and it came out, uh, you know, not to brag too much, but it came out looking really boss. Yeah, And after I owned the car about uh, two months, we got a call from another, another call from the state police, a guy in a Mercury, or in a uh, Ford Falcon Sprint had rolled over his car. He was drunk and demolished it. And we towed that car in, and it had a beautiful bucket seat interior with a console. The car was, you know, they told us, junk the car. Was, you know, so I, I pulled the interior out of that, the seats and the console, and put that into my four-door Comet. <laughs> and it was, it, was just a, it was just the neatest car. Uh, everybody loved that car. Yeah, I think all those years of being around your dad where he wasn't afraid to tow in a, th- a car and, and fix it and take it apart paid off. And I had a, a cousin. He had a Comet back in the mid-60s when I was a little kid. And I remember that car because I remember the little fins in the back were yes, kind of cool. They're yeah. kind of a combination yeah. of the, the leftover big fins of the Cadillac and the Biscayne fins that kind of swayed yeah, out they, a little bit. They were bit. canted a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah very yeah. cool. I think it had three taillights in the back. On each yes, side, on yeah, each. yeah. Those yeah. are neat little cars. Uh, that, that's awesome. It really was. And the engine, the engine we put in it. Now it had, I think, a one forty-four cubic inch six. Uh, we put in a two hundred cubic inch six that we got from a Mustang uh, that had been a Mustang Sport. So it had the chrome valve cover, and uh-huh. uh, you know, so and the, and the car, you know, was fairly gutsy for a six because sure. it was a it was the big six. When I think those cars, the Comet, the Falcon, they all had kind of the same platform as the Mustang, anyway. So everything yes. probably bolted right in and fit pretty well. So the the, the bucket seat bolted right in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, uh, we didn't have to drill any holes or anything. Just <laughs> boom. Cool car. 
How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you could have back in the garage? Oh, it's, this is going to sound... There's actually two. This is going to sound a little a little crazy. I had a Plymouth uh, Acclaim, a 1991, that I bought brand new and just got rid of it a couple of years ago. I actually donated it to a charity, and I wish I had never donated that car because it was, you know, it, it had uh, 100 million miles on it, but it was just the neatest little car. I really loved the car. I had it for a long time, and it went through me and then my wife and my daughter, and then finally I've got a brother-in-law who was broke and needed a car, gave it to use for a couple years so that one i wish i had kept a plymouth acclaim yes i know (laughs) not looking for that Uh, Uh, but even more than that when when i lived in california i had a 66 saab 96 with the three-cylinder engine and the four-speed on the column and i wish i kept that i i sold it when i moved back to connecticut i wish i had driven it back and uh, still had it because those are cool those those old saab 96s were really cool yeah they're very um bug-like <laughs> you know like not vw bug but kind of like a bug they look like a cockroach yeah. or something it sounds yeah, terrible yeah. but terrible. praying mantis something like that yeah, yeah very unique yeah i think i like your saw better than your claim <laughs> yeah yeah i at the time i was working for the uh, uh saab car company it was called saab scania of america they were the uh, importer in america mm-hmm. uh they were headquartered here in orange connecticut one town over from where i live i had been working for them in orange and they transferred me out to la to be an assistant warehouse manager in uh, torrent mm-hmm. so i lived uh, you know i got an apartment in redondo beach and i uh, worked out there and i felt really good being part of the car business and you know i was at the time i was probably 20 years old yeah very cool yeah. As far as current projects, I know you have a book coming out this year, George Romney and American Life. Could you tell us about that project? Yeah, George Romney is, uh, I think uh, a lot of people know, uh, was Mitt Romney's father. And he was the uh, executive vice president of Nash Kelvinator. Kelvinator Corporation, and he became executive vice president of American Motors, and then when his boss, George Mason, passed away, he became chairman of American Motors, and he led that company to unheard of heights of success. And he went on from there to become uh, governor of Michigan, three-term governor, most popular governor in Michigan history. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to be friends with George Romney some years ago, and uh, just because of his career with American Motors, I used to call him up and ask him questions, and, and we would talk for, you know, hours. Yeah. Uh, and we met a few times. I did some interviews with him. I just decided when he passed away, it really affected me. I, I was really depressed for quite a while because he was such a nice man, and we got along so well. But I decided I'd like to write his uh, biography. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I wrote it, and... Uh, it's going to come out later on this year. I actually have two books coming out this year. Oh, what's the other one? The other one is A History of International Harvester Trucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's coming out from Motor Books. I just finished that about a month ago and turned everything over to them. So they're doing whatever it is publishers do to, uh, <laughs> to get it ready for, for print. Very cool. Well, fantastic. I love that. You sound like two great books. I'll make sure that we make notes of those on your show notes page so that when they're out, people can get their hands on those, uh, in addition to all the other books that you published. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Patrick. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? (laughs) Kind of unique. Uh, I guess I would probably be a, a 1972 American Motors Gremlin X. A gremlin. Oh, my gosh. Okay, now I can't wait to hear why you think you're a gremlin. (laughs) 
because it's uh, frugal, and I happen to be a very frugal fellow. It's fun-loving. Mm-hmm. You know, a 72 Gremlin X is just a very fun car to drive, and I like fun. Uh, a little bit comical, because you look at him, and, you know, it doesn't look like any other car on the road. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I I happen to think they're beautiful cars, but uh, some people think they look kind of comical, and, you know, I think some people think I look a little comical sometimes. And and they're different. Well, very different. I was going to say, I had a guest on yesterday who loved the BMW Roadster, and I always thought when the Roadster came out, it had kind of a... There's some BMW folks out there who are going to kill me for this. It had that kind of gremlin, big clown shoe look to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Kind of the way the back is designed and so forth. Yeah. I had a friend yeah. in high school that had had a gremlin when they came out in, in the early 70s. And uh very unique, different car, for sure. So I like yeah. that. Great yeah. answer. I just I just uh, finished an article for Hemmings Class, or no, for uh, Collectible Automobile, pardon me, uh, that's going to come out later on this year, and it's uh, a comparison of the 71 Gremlin with the Pinto and Vega, which were introduced that year, yep. and the Beetle. And we compare all four cars to see what their strengths and weaknesses were, how come some sold better than others, and uh, uh, I think it's going to be a fun piece. It, uh, I finished it about a week ago, and I think it's due... I don't know if it's the next issue or the issue after that, but uh, keep an eye out for it. It's, it's going to be a nice little article. It definitely sounds really interesting. We're about to enter the last lap, but before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars yeah guest, Dwight Knowlton. Carpe Viem, seize the road. It's the motto at carpegear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kids' car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com. And be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E-Gear.com. All right, Patrick, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. Are you ready? Yes. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? My boss at the American Motors dealership that I worked for, when I first started there, gave me some very good advice. He said, always tell the truth. That way you don't have to remember what you said. <laughs> My mom taught me that one, too. It is, it is he great. Was, you know, he was a car dealer, and we were in the car business, but he said, you know, tell the truth. Tell, yep. tell people the truth, and you won't, you won't regret it. Very important in all aspects of life. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Yeah, and this I learned from George Romney, uh, persistence. Mm. You know, you just have to be persistent. When you're writing books, and now this, uh, I just signed a contract for another book, by the way. Awesome. (laughs) And yes, yeah, when you're writing books, you can't write a book with inspiration. It's perspiration. You've got to get there every day and persistently write, even when you're squeezing words out one by one because they're just not coming. You've, You've got to get there and do it because if you don't, you're never going to finish. Absolutely. I've heard this from many of my guests uh, that are entrepreneurs, 
persistence, tenacity are so important. Just uh, working through those those tough times as well as the fun times. How about a resource? Is there one in particular you could share with our listeners? I know there are many out there with the web these days, but one in particular you think they would enjoy? You know, I try to not use the Internet too much for information because there's so much misinformation out there. (laughs) What I like to do is get, when I'm writing about a company like, say, American Motors or Hudson Motor Company or Studebaker, which I wrote about, I try and get the annual reports Mm. for that company. And that way, you've got a documented trail of, of what happened, what decisions were made, and how they turned out that you know is correct yeah. yeah they'll they'll try and they'll try and color it one way or another but you've got you've got the uh the information and i find the best place to find those are on ebay you oh, know you, you cool. go in if you're looking for a, a studebaker annual report you type that in and uh, you know you yeah. can find them there ah, great advice. Uh, i found great that advice. is a, that, that's the best resource i think for writing uh, are the annual reports and also on ebay you can find the brochures that you need Yes. to give details about automobiles. When I'm writing about cars, uh, I, I buy brochures for each one that I'm writing about from eBay because, believe it or not, I haven't driven every car out there. I've driven most of them, but not every one of them. <laughs> Very cool. That's a great resource. How about a book? Not counting your books because we'll, we'll list those on your show notes page, but is there one book in particular you think the listeners should get their hands on? Yeah, I, I should have my, my wife to tell you about my library. <laughs> I really think... Uh, it's it's a multiple of books, uh, Automobile Quarterly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got every issue from issue number one till the final one. They're they're out of business now. They're another one I used oh, to write no. for. It's just such a shame that they're not here anymore because I've been subscribing for a long time. And wonderful yeah. books. As far as one book that I've enjoyed more than any other, it would be Beverly Ray Kimes' History of Packard Motor Car oh, and Company, great. Uh, which is a very, very big book. But uh, it's got to be the best car book ever written. Fantastic. Well, listeners, you can find links to these great resources at carsyeah.com slash Patrick Foster. All right, Patrick, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because I'm going to cover that for you today. What would that one vehicle be and why? Actually, that's pretty easy. Uh, It would be my favorite sports car of all time, which would be the 53 Nash Healey. Oh, wow. Now that's the first. Tell me about that car and why you like it so much. Well, the the 53 Nash Healey, and, and, you know, the 52 looks similar to the 54. I, I For some reason, I like the 53 because they had um, two body styles there. The the coupe was called a Le Mans. But the Healey uh, used a, a, a Healey-designed chassis with a Pininfarina-designed body uh, wrapped around uh, a Nash Ambassador drivetrain. So you had bulletproof reliability. Uh, they were the winningest uh, American car at Le Mans until Ford finally won it in uh, in the 60s. But up to that point, Nash had turned in the best record at Le Mans uh, by far with the Healey. And the Pininfarina body is just beautiful. It's yeah. it's a real exotic car, and yet it's something that uh, you know you can drive every day because it's got an ambassador, a powerful ambassador drivetrain in there, and right. uh, they're fast. They're good-looking, they're comfortable, 
there and and you're not going to see another one at a car show when you go there very very unique cars for sure and you're the first one to pick that car here on cars yeah so i love that one when we get a new car chosen as the uh the doozy question as i like to call it so patrick you've taken me on a great ride today as i knew you would and i've really enjoyed your stories and i want to thank you for sharing your journey with the cars yeah listeners and with me could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that nash healy <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, and it's old advice. Uh, I'm sure you probably heard it at some point in your life. Uh, if you work at something that you really love, it doesn't feel like work. Yes. And I, I, what I do here, I could go out, I could work in the financial markets and make a lot more money than I make here. But I really love this, and so every morning when I get up, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm happy. I say, Wow, I'm going to go write about cars today. Yeah, so important. So do what you love. That's what I tell my daughter. Work at something that you really love, and you'll enjoy every day of your life. Yep. Great advice for automotive enthusiasts in particular. I love it. Listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Patrick has been so generous to share with me today here at carsyad.com slash Patrick Foster. Just put Patrick in the search box, and his show notes page will pop right up, including a list of the books that you can find from Patrick. Uh, I own several of them. Great books. Get your hands on those. Patrick, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Okay, thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!